Well, hello, and thanks for listening to another episode of A Better Conversation. I'm Gus Simpson sitting across the table, as always, from the Reverend Aaron James Couch. How's it going today, Aaron? Well, good. My middle name's not James, but that's all right. <laughs> what, what is it? It's a J name, right? It's J. Jacob? John? Just J. Oh, just J. Okay. Yeah, like oh. J period or J-A-Y, either one. Oh, okay. I like that. All right, well. Aaron J. Couch, Reverend Aaron J. Couch. Right, Sorry, Reverend. I'm, I'm running out of introductions here, so I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> grasping at straws a little bit. Uh, anyway, uh, say Superman. That's all right. <laughs> the Superman Aaron J. James Couch. All right. Well, uh, we are uh, shifting gears a little bit uh, for the next few months with the podcast. Uh, Aaron, why don't you kind of explain where we're going and uh, kind of why we're we're doing this little bit of shift? Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna enter into this series, an extended series on uh, spiritual disciplines, and and I I think this is really important on a couple of levels. One is because we all can stand to be better with our disciplines, but. The other one is because I don't think we really understand why we do disciplines to begin with. Even this morning, I was—I uh, have a, a guy that I meet with on weekly and, at six a.m. and and we were—I asked him like, "Why do you do the disciplines that you do? Like, what are the disciplines that you do?" Uh, and he did the classic, "Well, I read my Bible and pray," and, which there's nothing wrong with that; those are great things. Um, and I was like, "Why do you do them?" And he said, "Well, I—I I don't know, like." That's why that's what they told me to in Sunday school. Yeah, because that God. seems to be the universal Christian answer. If, if I'm struggling with things, I just need to read my Bible and pray. So um, those are the kind of things that, uh, like, why do we do our disciplines? What are they supposed to be accomplishing? How do they play off of one another? Um, how does that affect my life and change me? And then what I can begin to understand is for specific issues in my life, which people are nuanced, they're, they're just so unique that for a specific issue that one person is dealing with, we can put disciplines in combination with one another to really maximize how we affect that issue as opposed to just read your Bible and pray. So, uh, so our sermon series will be going through this stuff, and then we'll be paralleling that with a better conversation, a little bit of bonus material, maybe a little bit deeper dive into some of the stuff. And this week, we're starting out with prayer, which is uh, happens to be one of our themes for the year as a church. So, uh, why do you want to start with prayer, Aaron? Yeah, I feel like prayer is so it's just generally misunderstood. Um, we, we see prayer as an opportunity, and we use verses like, cast your cares on him because he cares for you, and, and, that, and that's good. Uh, but we, we miss some of the bigger like pieces of prayer. I had, a, I had an atheist friend on Facebook that posted a diagram uh, that was a decision tree about prayer, ironically. And so it started with, at the top of the decision tree is, I, I pray to God and ask him for what I want slash need. And then the decision tree goes two ways. It's in God's will or it's not in God's will. Uh, And then the next one down on the same two lines is God was going to do it anyway, or God will never do it no matter what you do. And then it comes back together at the bottom and says, then why pray? And that's how a lot of people view prayer. Like if prayer Mm -hmm. is just shopping, you know, God shopping, (laughs) then then yeah, that makes total sense. Like, why would you do that, right? But prayer is just so much bigger than that. Prayer is an opportunity for me to take all of these issues that I'm facing in a day, whether that's stress or concern for friends or needs in my life or um, any number, like like my concern for my family, my my children, 
uh, situations that we need God's wisdom on, like, God, I don't, I don't understand where you want us to go here. All of those things, any of those things that I have, I want to take those before the Lord. And my goal with prayer isn't to get him to do what I want. Because then we treat prayer like it's some kind of a spiritual incantation yeah. or a transaction. Yeah, and 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 there's no relationship in that. There's no relationship in that. Which God honestly doesn't need you to pray. He can just do what He's going to do. And mm-hmm. and what it ultimately does when we treat prayer that way is it puts me in the position of God because God is like a bull with a ring in His nose that I lead around by a chain. Mm-hmm. Have you said the right combination of words right. enough times, or pray for long enough, or right? So I'm trying to right find way. I'm trying to find the right yeah. incantation to work this over. Yeah. And obviously, if God doesn't answer it my way, then it was because I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't have enough faith, or you know I'm the bad person. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't convince God to do what I wanted Him to do. Yeah. Yeah, it leads to a lot of really, uh, really bad behavior in a lot of ways. Yeah, and and just self deprecating. Yeah, talk of, yeah. amongst one another. And as I look in the mirror in the morning, I'm like, "You're you don't have enough faith. That's why God doesn't hear you. He doesn't love you. You're a mistake." Mm-hmm. And those are all those battles that we're going to face anyway. But prayer really is about me making my heart like God's heart. Mm-hmm. Me submitting these issues, these concerns, these worries, these fears all these things that I have facing the day and say, God, here's what I want. Help me understand what you want in this. Mm-hmm. And then then I'm able to say, okay, now all of a sudden I see this situation from God's perspective, which is a 360-degree view. I only have a very small uh, view on all of my life because I only see it from my point of view. Mm-hmm. And maybe those that I work really hard to understand their point of view but I don't have God's perspective on it. And so uh, this is prayer is an opportunity for me to go to God and say, God, I want your perspective on this issue. So uh, with that being said, then what, what are kind of the parts of prayer? What, what do we do and not do in prayer? Yeah. So especially for people who've never really made prayer a big part of their life or people who didn't grow up praying, right. Like you new Christian, 20, Nine years old and yeah, you know, what do I do here? Yeah, and and it's it's one of those things that's weird to get started because you're like I'm sitting here by myself talking to myself. (laughs) It's it's a little. (laughs) It's even worse when you get thrown in. You have to pray for a group out loud, and yeah, and everybody. If you've been coming to church for a while, and you go to your small group, and like, why don't you open us a prayer? You're like, I've never prayed in my life (laughs) ever. Um, So I think probably the place to begin is just to give just a just a mental formula. There's no sacred way to pray. Um, there's no right way or wrong way. It's kind of like there's when I'm, when I'm talking with my wife, as long as I'm really being open and trying to connect with her, there's no wrong way to talk mm-hmm. with her. Now there's a lot of wrong ways if I want to make her feel bad. Yeah. Um, but as long as I'm really trying to connect with her and understand her and get to un- kind of open up her heart and understand where she's coming from and who she is, there's no wrong way to do that. Uh, there are some ways that are better than others, but there, there's, so this is a way to understand prayer this isn't the way to understand prayer, but there's this breaks prayer basically down into four parts, and this is not mine. This has been around forever, but it follows the acrostic acts, A-C-T-S. And the first one is adoration of God. And I think this is generally a good practice in prayer, that before we 
start laying our request in front of him that we just take some time to say, God, I want to recognize you for who you are. Mm -hmm. You're awesome. You know everything. You have provided. You see me. You understand me. You, you know, the, the truth is, God, you are in control, and that's why I'm here. It's just generally a good practice to begin with those kinds of truths because that helps us frame our requests and the desperation in them. The second piece is what we call consecration, and I'm, I apologize for the big churchy words. Basically, <laughs> consecration means I'm going to recommit myself to being set apart for God's purpose. So what would that look like practically? Like, So in my, in my own prayer time, um, there's, there always needs to be a moment where I say, God, I recognize that my life is not my own, mm. that I made a decision to follow you, and that because of that, you can do whatever you want with my life, whenever you want, even if that means death. And I think about the book of Job, you know, when everything falls apart and he loses all of his money, he loses all of his kids, and he's standing before God with the weight of this information. And it says that he tears his clothes, which is a sign of mourning, and then he worships God. And he says, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like that recognition of I'm not entitled to anything better. And we live in a culture that is so entitled and you deserve this. And and you, it, it's a good piece of prayer to say, no, God, I'm yours. I gave my life to you. You can do with me as you see fit, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And my I will be okay with that. And I think that goes back to one of the scriptures that we used recently in sermon um, when Paul says, um, but if we have food and clothing... Well, that is enough. Like people who've tried to pursue riches fall into this snare. And, and he says, if we have food and clothing, that'll be enough. God's already promised that I'm going to have those. He doesn't owe me anything else. Mm-hmm. And that's an important perspective because it keeps me humble. Mm-hmm. So then the third piece, so we have adoration and then consecration. And then the third piece is Thanksgiving. Um, what do we have to be thankful for? Um, God, thanks for the, you know, the other day when this situation or this, for putting this person in my life that said this kind thing to me at a strategic moment or, and and when we pray that way, um, it it opens our eyes. Like we start to become more aware of all the Mm. things that we really do have to be thankful for. And I think um, there's a, there's a story about a old West town and these people are coming out in the covered wagons and they're on the Oregon trail or whatever. And this old man, they come up to this town, this old man sitting outside this town and, the people in the wagon train say, hey, what kind of people live in this town? And the old man says, well, what kind of people were in the town you came from? And uh, they said, well, those people were uh, hard and angry. They were mean to us. They were gossips and backbiters. And the old man says, well, you'll kind of find those same kind of people in this town. (laughs) And so they go on, and then another wagon train comes through, and they ask the old man, well, what, what kind of what kind of people live in this town? And he said, well, what kind of people live in the town you came from? And they said, well, they were wonderful. We were like family and, and we loved each other and we looked out for each other and helped each other. And he said, yep, you'll find those kind of people in this town. Mm-hmm. And I, cause I, I think that what we look for, we see, yeah. yeah. Um, you'll find it. And so Thanksgiving trains us. It trains us to be looking for things in our life to be thankful for, Mm -hmm. for all the ways that God has done little things, whether that's as simple as providing a warm home or food or good friends or 
Uh, and that doesn't mean that everything's rosy and peachy all the time. It just means that we've got to recognize that God is at work in our life. And as simple as things Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Like, Lord, thank you for treating us all equitably, mm-hmm. treating us all equally in that regard, that you bless us all. So those are those are all simple things, and, and it's a discipline for yeah. us to do that. And then the last piece is supplication, which is another big churchy word. But basically what that means is that's where we start to say, God, here's the things that I I would like to lay before you that are my requests. Mm-hmm. Here's my, like, Lord, I have this, my my child is in the hospital or um, I would really, I had, <laughs> here's a funny thing. I had a season of prayer uh, a few years ago where I was praying really specific things. And I wanted to do this because... Um, I believed that, and I think it's true still, that when I pray really specific prayers and God answers that prayer, then I know it was only God that could do that. Like, like you're laying out a fleece or something? Yeah. Well, yeah, not even – not even like, yes, fleece would totally be that um, – mm-hmm. fall into that category, but it wasn't even that. I was – I remember I was praying for a pickup, which I totally <laughs> didn't need a pickup. But I was and – I, and I would say – like every day I would say, Lord, I know that I don't need a pickup. I know that. Um, and I, and I know that, you know, everything that, and that there are people who have things way worse than me, but you've asked me to lay my request before you. And so here's my request. Now, uh, at the time, what I was praying for, this was the specific request. I said, Lord, I want a 99 or newer Dodge Ram automatic with air conditioning, cruise control, and less than a hundred thousand miles on it. That is specific. Yeah. And, and <laughs> now here's the irony. Okay. So, so I prayed this every day for like a month and then I went on this trip to uh, go get trained to do some, some stuff with an organization that was around discipleship. And then I fly back and my wife comes to the airport to pick me up in a pickup that she had bought for me without me even knowing that she was looking. Now here's the <laughs> kicker. Here's the kicker. It was in 1999 Check. Uh, Dodge Ram. Check. With cruise control. Check. Automatic, air conditioning. And when I got in the truck and looked at the odometer, it had 99,998 miles on it. I kid you <laughs> not. I was like, no way. Now, here's the downside. I didn't pray for four-wheel drive. And so it was a two-wheel drive. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. <laughs> I, I learned my lesson. Live but I was in Idaho. Like, I was Gotta like, pray for the four-wheel drive. That's right. That's right. I was like, God, like <laughs> you did not have to do this. And it, and I was like, maybe I'm just wasting my time. But I feel like it was just God going, you just make me smile when you talk to me. I just love that you're doing that. And because you're trusting me with this, I'm just gonna. And I don't have to. And I knew that. I knew God didn't have to do it. But he met every single bang, 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 bang down the list. Everything I pray for and and not anything that I didn't pray for. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it was so funny. But I mean, that's when we take our requests to God, he loves it. And and I, my analogy to it is this way. Like when my kids come to me and say, hey, dad, um, can I have 20 bucks to go to the movie? Do I care that my kids ask me for money? No. Of, co- of course not. I don't care if they ask me for money. Um, I don't, I don't mind that they would, I would love, I love that they want to let me in on their life. Um, and if I have it, I want to be able to give it to him, right? God doesn't mind that we come to him with our requests. He loves it when his children talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that when God has a better path and he says no to our requests, and then we throw a fit, 
because we didn't get what we wanted. Mm. That's where it starts to go, gosh, you really don't trust that God is good and that he is for you. Uh, and we start to work from this position of God is um, holding out on me. Mm-hmm. He's not giving me the best things. And uh, I think about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth when they have John the Baptist, like they're old and beyond childbearing years, which barrenness is this sure sign in their culture that God is angry at you. Mm-hmm. And so they've been praying and praying and praying. It would have been really easy for them to fall into the trap of, God, you're holding out on us. I don't understand why you won't. When all along what God was actually doing was waiting for the right time to orchestrate the bringing in of the greatest uh, moment in history, they brought they gave birth to John the Baptist, who yeah. was the only person ever born with the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Um, and he was the precursor of the Messiah. Like God is going to use them in this amazing moment in history and their whole life. It would have been really easy for them to fall into this fear of like, God, you're holding out on me because you're not giving me what I want. And what we have to understand, and this goes back to our understanding adoration and consecration, we've got to understand who God is and that my life is his. When I trust that, then when I don't get what I want, it's a lot easier for me to stomach because I believe that God's doing something greater. So what are some ways to pray? I mean, obviously there's, you know, bow your head, you know, fold your hands. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, is not how the Jews prayed. Let let me tell you the true story. This is historically (laughs) accurate. You can can check my details on this. (laughs) Bowing your head and folding your hands came out of the American Sunday School movement, Mm -hmm. um, where they were trying to teach kids to pray, and they made them bow their heads and close their eyes and fold their hands so that while we're praying, they're not poking each other. Yep. That is the that truth. Works. That's what I do with my three-year-old that every is night. The truth, that's, yeah. And, and that, <laughs> it's the only thing that gets him to settle down and yeah. not get distracted. And it's weird because when you pray with your eyes open, it feels almost sacrilegious now. Yeah. But that's one of those things where, like in the in the Jewish world, they prayed with their eyes raised to heaven, standing with their arms out wide open. Um, they did the exact opposite of bow your head, close your eyes, and mm-hmm. fold your hands. Um, and that's just how they prayed because they wanted to take a certain posture before God. Um, so I want to just begin by saying right. that. So you don't bow your head. You don't fold your hands. <laughs> you can. You, it's fine if you do. I still do yeah. a lot of times just because that's ingrained yeah. in me. Stand on your head. Turn around three times. <laughs> yeah. The magic right. of prayer isn't the posture, right. right? It's the attitude of the heart. And and so if that posture helps you, because I do think there's a connection between our attitude and our physical posture. So if that physical posture helps you have the right attitude in your heart, go for it. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it. Just don't get upset or call it sacrilegious when somebody doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that piece. Yeah. Um, so some various ways to pray. Um, one is just the standard talking out loud. And I would say talking out loud when you're alone, praying in your own personal prayer time and talking out loud when you're praying in front of people. And there's no magic words. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'm super unfamiliar with prayer, don't feel like you're going to say it wrong. Uh, there's not a wrong way to talk to God. I, I've heard people get so passionate and fired up in prayers that they start swearing in their prayer. <laughs> and while, you know, I generally don't recommend it, <laughs> um, I think uh, we're only supposed to let what is beneficial for the building up of the body be that what comes out of our mouth. But at the same time, I think God smiles at the authenticity. Yeah, Like you're not putting on airs with God. And so there's no magic. And I know a lot of people that <laughs> they're, they're just regular blue collar salt of the earth people. And 
uh, they get into prayer and all of a sudden they start speaking King James. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? What? Where did that come from? Lord Jesus, thou art. Yeah. Yea, verily. And uh, Father God. And, you know, they, and like fa- Father God and Lord, those, Lord yeah. Jesus, those kind of become fillers for, <clears throat> I don't really know what I'm going to say next. Yeah. Silence is okay in prayer. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But to say things from an authentic place, like I don't change who I am when I go before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, He already knows me. Yeah. Like he knows me way more than I know myself. Yeah. He knows how you talk with everyone else. He's going to know if you're not being authentic. With right, him. right. And it feels – it's like a Isaiah chapter 1 um, where he says, you guys come to me with all these prayers, but you're not living the life. Like he said, I'm sick of your prayers. I'm not even going to listen to them mm-hmm. because you won't live a life of justice and mercy. You won't care for the alien, the orphan, the widow. That's That's really where – God's like, this time that we have together is supposed to translate into something greater in your actions. Mm-hmm. So it's got to come from an authentic place, or we learn to dichotomize it. We put we put our our spiritual life in one camp and the rest of our life in another camp, and those two worlds don't overlap. Yeah. So talking out loud um, when you're alone or with other people, and I've had lots of times in my own personal prayer time where I've been mad at God. It is okay to be mad at God. Um, Isaiah 55.9 says... Uh, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the stars are from the from the seashore, are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your thoughts. So questioning what God is doing would be absolutely normal because mm-hmm. we don't understand it. Yeah. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. We don't see the world the same way he does. Mm-hmm. Now, questioning who he is as a result of that, totally different. We got to be anchored in who he is. But I've had lots of times where I was angry at God and like, God, I don't understand why you would let this happen or why you would do this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't understand why, why God would you let children be born to abusive people when people who'd be really good parents can't have kids? Like, I don't understand that. Why would you let um, you know, for me, it revolves a lot around the defenseless, like children and yeah. um, the weak, that kind of thing. I just, I just don't understand why they get taken advantage of in the world. However, I would also say that um, part of God's agenda is his people are supposed to rise up and put him on display and caring for those needs as mm-hmm. well. Uh, so, yeah, so talking out loud, I've I pound my finger on the table at God and pound my fist on the table at God, and I've had those moments with him, and then eventually I figure out, okay, God's right. <laughs> he always is. <laughs> and, and read the Psalms. David has a lot yeah. of those moments, yeah, too. Yeah, I love right? that. Yeah, I was, I was going to bring that up is, you know, David, you know, you know crush the teeth of my enemies or like, you know, I mean, he, he gets, he gets into it. Yeah. So. Well, how long, oh Lord, will you let these people make your name bad? You yeah. know, and Habakkuk says the same thing. How long are you going to put up with this people who don't care for you? Like mm-hmm. you got to do something here. I don't understand why you haven't already intervened. Mm-hmm. The problem for Habakkuk is when God doesn't raise, he's like, here's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send in the Babylonians to wipe you guys mm-hmm. out. And Habakkuk's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think another piece of the honesty thing too is is being honest about your doubts. You know, if you're doubting God, if you're, I mean, let him know. I mean, what was it? The, uh, I hate trying to think of scripture references in front of you, by the way. <laughs> you not get it wrong. There, I'll yeah, call no, you out yeah. right on this podcast. <laughs> it's in the New Testament. <laughs> so we're in the ballpark. Uh, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, that's where yeah. Uh, when Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he comes down. And his uh, guys are trying to cast a demon out of a guy's son. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? And mm-hmm. the guy says, I do believe. Help me in my yeah. unbelief. Yeah, I find myself, you know, sometimes when I'm going through a period of, of doubt or just not really sure where I'm at with my faith, you know, I find myself praying that prayer. Yeah. It's like, God, I, 
pretty sure you're there. Help me to be more sure you're there. Yeah. And I want to state this uh, publicly for the podcast, for all the tens of listeners. <laughs> um, there are dozens of us. <laughs> Let's start a movement. As a pastor paid to preach every week, I have doubts in my faith. So when you doubt God, that doesn't mean you don't have any faith. Mm-hmm. That means you're wrestling with a new level of authenticity in your relationship with the Lord, and that is okay. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing wrong with that, and God's not angry at you for that. Um, even in, in seasons where I'm preaching, there's a sense in which I believe it's true, and then there's sometimes a piece of me. It's not all the time, but there's sometimes a piece of me where like, man, I don't even know if I really buy this, what I'm saying. I, I think it's what the Bible says. I just don't really know if I buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, So we're all wrestling with those layers all the time. Yeah. So talking out loud is a great way to pray. Um, Another great way to pray is journaling. Um, Journaling is a great way to pray just to write out your prayers, and and it's a great way to pray and gives you uh, something to look back on Mm -hmm. over the years. I'm not a great journaler. I don't like doing it. Some people love journaling, and and if this is kind of how you're bent, this would be a great way for you to pray. Um, And I know lots of people who pray in a journal and then they'll put it on the shelf. And then five years later, they'll go back and look at mm-hmm. it and go, Oh my gosh, God answered that prayer and that prayer and that prayer. Yeah. And he still hasn't answered that prayer. You yeah. Know? Or this prayer has become totally irrelevant. Why was I even praying about that? Right. You know? Or I thought God, yeah, I thought God wanted me to have this little thing. And when God had this great big thing out there yeah. for me that I didn't even know, didn't even know I was supposed to be praying for. Uh, so journaling is a great way to have a track record of that. And, and I would say if you're a journaler or, and this would be, even if you're not a great journaler, to pray and then learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's how I would do that. And this is this is dicey, and, and some people are going to be like, you can't trust, that's too subjective. <laughs> I agree. Don't do this as your sole way to hear the voice of the Lord, but the Holy Spirit does speak to us. Mm-hmm. So to write down, like, God, here's my prayers for, here's my concerns, here's my things that I need to give to you, the things I'm worried and stressed about, here's the, my requests of you. And then just sit and be silent with him and write down what you think he's saying about those things. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. It doesn't have to be right. Yeah. But what you're doing is starting to learn to train yourself to be in, tuned in to the Holy Spirit as he's working. Because mm-hmm. God doesn't want to leave you hanging in that. Mm-hmm. And I know that for the more conservative end of the evangelical spectrum, people that are like, man, that's that's airy-fairy mysticism, mysticism, disconnected from the word of God. I agree with all those things and it can be abused and it can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, So don't ever use it as a sole proprietor of what God's saying. Mm -hmm. However, I would also say that if you anchor everything to the Holy spirit only works in the word of God, that also can be abused because the truth is if we're going to pull verses out of context, we can make the Bible say anything we want. Mm-hmm. So ultimately they both can be self-serving if we choose to let them be. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that the Holy Spirit does speak to us and we're missing out on a huge part of our spiritual life when we don't allow that opportunity. Yeah. Exercises like that help you to learn to listen to the spirit and to kind of kind of play within that and start to learn to to trust what he's saying and learn what kind of things he is saying yeah. to you. Yep. Which leads me to my third way to pray and that's just silence. Mm-hmm. Just to sit in the presence of the Lord, and, and that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> that, that is a culture, discipline, <laughs> especially in our culture. They, uh, the monks practice solitude as a dis- as a spiritual mm-hmm. discipline. Um, it's one of those things where uh, silence becomes this great way to learn to get really in tune with where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I? What's going on in me internally? Uh, and as my thoughts race, what happens to my heartbeat? And 
um, I can learn to breathe that through. I have a, I have an app that I use, not a Christian app, but I haven't. Ooh, I know it's dangerous. All truth, is, all <laughs> truth is God's truth. <laughs> I have an app that I use called Simple Habit, uh-huh. and it's free. And they have little five minute meditations mm-hmm. that they just lead you through, where you're focusing and breathing mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Like that physical act has some real internal spiritual and emotional benefit. Yeah. And so it's something that I have, I mean, they have daily meditations on there. I don't use it every day, um, but I, I can. Um, So those are the kind of things that um, I think are really significant. Just silence, just be quiet with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, when you think about it in the terms of like, you know, with, with people I'm close with, with my wife, with my close friends, like I can spend time with them and be connected to them without having to talk to them. You know, like, like sitting next to my wife, on the couch, just, just sitting there, just being there, you know, sitting next to a friend on a car ride like that, that can be bonding even in silence. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's really know, powerful. Yeah. So if you, you know, if the Holy spirit is within you, spend time with that. You yeah. Know, just, just sit and be aware. Yeah. And to even in your silence to have quietly have worship music playing or uh, somebody doing an audio version of the scripture, just as you're mm-hmm. sitting with the Lord so that those things are washing through your mind. That's Titus three talks about uh, the renewing of your mind by the washing and the regeneration of the word like that, that letting that wash over us starts to transform mm-hmm. us from the inside out. So it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that actually become part of my kind of morning disciplines the last few months is I'll just first thing I get up, I don't look at Facebook yet. I don't like Instagram yet because I'll immediately start my mind racing a million different places. Yeah. And just, yeah, I'll either find like a guided meditation or pick a scripture or a word or just, uh, you know, even something simple, just thank you, God, and just sit there with that and, and meditate on that. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it's actually done wonders for just kind of setting up my day yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. It's powerful. I, I do that with worship music. Um, that's just been my habit over the last year. Um, like I race as soon as my alarm goes off, but I, I'm a morning person, so this it's not really fair, but I, I will race <laughs> yeah. through everything I have to do to get to the point where I can get my worship started mm-hmm. in the day. And then, um, it just sets the tone for the whole day. Like I come into the day with a proper heart condition to be able to face it well. Mm-hmm. And then the last, the last piece that I would throw out is meditation and meditation. So there's a couple of words used uh, to define meditation. One is the word Haggah, Joshua one, where he says, meditate on this word day and night. That word is like, uh, this, it's the same word that's translated the, a growl that a lion makes when it's feeding on its prey. Um, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. And so that, that's in that sense, meditation is tearing into God's word and just really owning it. When I'm thinking about meditation, the word in the new Testament for meditation is the word, uh, used like to ruminate or mm-hmm. the word that, uh, used for a, when a cow chews its cud. So they take the food down and then they bring it back up and chew their cud mm-hmm. and then take it back down and bring it back up and chew their cud again. It's extracting so, every bit of nutrients. Yeah. And, and, and it's yeah. doing that because of the regurgitation, the bringing mm-hmm. it back up again and again and again. So one of the things that people want to use meditation as a prayer discipline, then what I typically will do is say, use a trigger method. So you have a trigger that, um, will trigger you every time something, this regular event happens in the day, you're going to stop and pray. Mm. over a specific issue. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I have someone that um, I love very much and they're struggling right now. Their marriage is in trouble, whatever. 
And so I've committed to pray for them. So every time I walk through a doorway, I'm just in my mind, I'm going to say a quick prayer for them. Mm-hmm. That that would be meditation and prayer. Like I have this trigger or every time, um, every time I see a light switch, I'm going to pray or, you know, that, that'd be a lot, but you know, every time <laughs> some of these simple things that are going to happen several, every time I get in my car, I'm going to spend a minute and I'm going to say a prayer for them. Uh, that would be a trigger method of meditation. That would be a practice of meditation and prayer that we keep ruminating on it over and over and over. I've never heard meditation used that way. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what else can we talk about? Well, I was just going to give a quick throughout, and and I want to just a couple of Jesus's prayers, and we'll we'll do a deeper dive on these in the in the sermon time. Um, okay. Uh, but, so, so show up on Sunday yeah, or Thursday. And, and yeah. we'll really extract these right. and ratchet them down. But uh, John 17 is Jesus's prayer. Um, I love this prayer. It's but somewhere between. We don't know exactly where this happened. They believe typically that it happened in the garden, but it's somewhere between the upper room and uh, right before Jesus is arrested. It's somewhere in that window. And he's praying and he begins by praying for himself. He says, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you set for me to do, which is a great statement because he's saying, I've completed the work that you set for me to do. And he hasn't died on the cross yet. It's another, another conversation for another mm-hmm. podcast. But um, that's, a, that's a really significant statement. Like if, if the work wasn't the cross, what was it? Mm-hmm. Um, at least the work that he's talking about here. I do believe that part of a major piece of Jesus's work was the cross. Don't get me wrong on that. But anyway, then he begins to pray for his disciples. So if in the verse structure of this chapter, he has four verses where he prays for himself. And then he has from uh, verse five, all the way down to uh, verse 26, he prays for other people. And I just wonder if, like, if we were to verse out our prayers, mm-hmm. would they be structured the same way? Yeah. Or would they maybe be flip-flopped? <laughs> Where we drop a couple thoughts in for other people, we spend a whole lot of time talking about God, about mm, us, yeah, talking with God about ourselves. Um, that that's a thought. Then he, so he kind of moves in concentric circles in this um, prayer that he prays for himself, and then the next ring out, he prays for his disciples, and then the next ring out, he prays for whoever would believe in their message. Um, and and then he prays. In that prayer, in that construct, he's praying for you and I, which is kind of cool because Jesus prays for us. So that's kind of the movement of Jesus's prayer there. Pray for myself, pray for my closest people, and then pray for people that are affected by them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another way uh, to understand a prayer structure. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but that's a cool way to understand John 17. Um, the other thing that I would throw out as just a quick overview study is Matthew chapter 6. And the Sermon on the Mount, when the disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Jesus says, well, this is how you should pray. Mm-hmm. So first of all, from a non-cultural standpoint, Jesus says, this is how you should pray, and then never prays that way. <laughs> um, the other thing that's interesting here is the prayer that he gives them is called the Amidah prayer, which they would have prayed up to 10 times a day, every day. Um, the Amidah prayer is a prayer prayed on the Temple Mount during the, the noontime prayer time. Um, and they all come together, and you have to pray it in groups. And so if you don't have enough people in your group, you're going to be calling people as they're walking by, hey, come join us in our group so we can say the Amidah prayer. We're never going to say no to that. So if you were just walking through and didn't know anybody on the Temple Mount, you would be called into multiple groups Hmm. to pray the Amidah prayer. And this prayer is the prayer you would 
prayer that you would pray. So what on one level, Jesus is saying, you already know how to pray. Mm-hmm. Pray this way. Now, the one thing that he does add to this prayer is the whole section on forgiveness. And when he's done re- reciting the Amidah prayer, he comes back to forgiveness as like, because when you forgive, because for the Jews, they don't believe that their job is to forgive. They believe forgiveness is God's job. Mm. So I don't have to forgive you. God forgives you. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. When you forgive, you actually act like God. Hmm. You put your God on display. Yeah. And so you do need to forgive. Huh. Um, and then, uh, so that's, that's that piece, which is really interesting. But, um, that, I think one of the things that I would drive home is, you know, the prayers that you learned as a kid in church or the liturgical prayers that you grew up with, they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, does this even work? <laughs> yeah. I grew up United Methodist. So we would say the Lord's prayer yeah. weekly in church. Or even the Johnny Appleseed prayer, where we pray before him. It was like, are those useless? Well, no, there's there's yeah. no wrong way to talk to yeah. God. It's, I return to the Lord's Prayer often because sometimes <laughs> I just don't know what else to say. Yeah. And it's it's there and I know it and it's powerful. Yeah. So so I, I would throw that out. Like Jesus isn't abolishing liturgy and a lot of our Protestant movement has been rooted in being non-traditionalist, mm-hmm. even though funny funny thing is a lot of the Protestant movement has actually just jumped back into their own set of traditions. Mm-hmm. but. There's nothing wrong with liturgy. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it. Um, what's what becomes wrong is when we use it lifelessly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just a couple of thoughts on prayer and and some of Jesus's thoughts on prayer, and I and I think they'll be useful as we jump into the sermon this week on on prayer as a discipline. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, this uh, this Sunday, this weekend, I don't know, assuming you're listening to this when it comes out, uh, we'll also be jumping into 21 days of prayer as a church. Uh, so we'll be talking more about that on Sunday and uh, on our Facebook and Instagram we'll be giving you some resources and some kind of daily topics and things to be praying for Uh, if you have any questions feedback uh, suggestions as always you can email Aaron at liferotp.com and uh, you know if we have some time during this even though we're going to be kind of paralleling our sermon series uh, you know maybe we can even do some bonus episodes and get to some other some other topics if we have time And as always, you can uh, leave us a review in iTunes. Make sure you subscribe, share it with a friend, and we'll turn our dozens into Baker's dozens. Shoot for the stars. Yep. Uh, So thanks for listening. Uh, Until next time, have a great week.